This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. We've been talking about a lot of guans, uh, a lot of stories, uh, different kind of stories. We began talking about really the family guans, then we spoke about you know, things to do with drugs and all the modern day challenges that we're having to face today. Last week we spoke about some of the, ch- the church guans, the, the, the guans that happen in the community of church. And this morning we are talking about guans that have to do with relationships. You know, relationships, you know, being single, singleness. Some people claim that singleness is a sickness, uh, but I can assure you that singleness is far from a sickness. It's something to value, uh, it's something to enjoy. But in this day and age, we're seeing a lot of relationships or types of ships. There are things that are called textationships, situationships, and a whole lot of other ships and things like friends with benefits. And it's, it's complicated. Yeah, I mean, a, a relationship status now is no longer married, single, or, or widowed, or widower. There's now what we call it's complicated. I think we need to go back and say, hey, what does God say about relationship? What does God say about being single? And what does it look like? What does God expect of us as people that are in relationship and those that are single? So this morning we are joined by a panel. We've got uh, Pastor Ray and Pastor Khao Gwindi here. Who are, uh, you know them, they are married. Uh, we've got, <laughs> we've got uh, uh, Dickness Gamushrai Chahambakwe. She's representing the singles. We've got Pastor Wayne Roberts, uh, who has left his uh, seat uh, with his wife for today. Uh, we've got Pastor Fidelis, uh, who is one of our premarital counselors. With, we have Mrs. Rejoice Ruchera, one of our premarital counselors. And then we've got Brother Dominic there, who is also representing the singles. So how we're going to do this today is that we have some questions that we'll discuss and debate. We have received some questions from, uh, uh, from people. And... Uh, Depending on how things go, we may actually take some questions from the audience. We will not be passing around the mic. We will just, at some point, if we have more time, ask you to write your questions on a paper, and then the ushers can bring it to us, and then we can see how far we go with talking about these guans. Now, just in, fact, just in case we don't get to answer all your questions, make sure you're back here tonight because we'll be talking about singles in one section and then about relationships in another section. Now, before some of you switch off and say, but I'm married already and I, I, I'm past this, I'm sure you've got children. If they're not your biological children, I'm sure you've got uh, nieces and nephews who will be asking these questions. You've got people even at work, in your circles, wherever it may be, that may be asking and find themselves in a place where they're trying to figure out, hey, I'm single, I'm still single, I'm believing, still believing. Or they may come to you and ask you, hey, what do I do about my relationship? One of the things that we've noticed is that just because you are married and have a a ring on your finger, it doesn't matter how great your marriage is, there are people who actually think you've got some answers for them. So it's important that we all uh, add some tools to our tool belts and be able to help people as they come. Amen. Let's just give our panelists one more round of applause as we we begin. Now, I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on someone who... I know is the, I don't know if I can say the most nervous or was the most reluctant to be on this panel. My question is, as we start, being single is not always easy and then she receives the mic. (laughs) 
It's not always easy because of the expectations of those that are married or those that are older or those that are around us. Dickiness Gamuchirai, how have you handled the external pressure that comes with being single? Avoiding platforms like these. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the, the key thing for me has been um, to know that you can be alone but not lonely. Um, so, for instance, I make sure that I surround myself with people who are not going to tear me down or question or make me feel like there's something wrong with me. Um, community for me is very important because I know that that's where um, I'm not alone and I'm not lonely in that place. I've also picked up a couple of hobbies along the way with the people in community. So I'm having fun. I'm not just waiting around for something to happen. Um, but I think the external pressure does come. Um, and when it does come, I think it's just then reminding myself that I'm not what these people are saying. The problem comes when I internalize those things and when I'm alone uh -huh. and I start replaying as it were the words to say, are you sure you're okay? You know when your family gatherings are almost the worst because you know that another year, like, <laughs> is everything okay there? Yeah. <laughs> or even the stairs, you, you almost, I think that's one of the things for me that I, I had to keep asking myself to say, is it that they think that way of you or you think that of yourself, that there's something wrong with you? So it's not what you think of me. It's not what I think of myself. It's what I think you think of me. So one of those things is, is just making sure that you're staying in good community. You're not alone. You're not lonely. There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly fine. And life can be fun. And you, it's really up to you. That's good. There's, there's another aspect of pressure that's there. You spoke about the internal pressure. But um, external pressure. But I'm sure there's the internal pressure where you yourself are like... The biological clock is ticking. <laughs> so they say. Yeah. So they say. <laughs> yeah. So I've been very intentional about looking for testimonies <laughs> um, of people who've beat the odds, as it were. And um, the internal pressure for me has always been to say, what are you saying to, what am I saying to myself? Again, um, when there was a time when I thought there was seriously something wrong with me. And I went on these extravagant things. I mean, the mountains, the fasts, and the prayers. And there's nothing wrong with it. No, I'm being real. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's something, um, it's a phase that we all go through. But then I had to trust that God has good intentions for me. I had to go back and say, okay, God won't mismanage my life. God won't set me up. Um... If God hasn't brought this thing in my life now, at, this, at the set time a child learns to walk, at the set time a child learns to crawl, we don't do it at the same time. Uh, my mom actually tells me that I learned to walk, at, I learned, started learning to walk um, late. So I'm like, it's okay, I'm still walking, I'm here. So you walk down the aisle <laughs> so a bit later. So I walk down the aisle when the time has come. <laughs> but, <laughs> so it's just to say, you know, the set, when the time has come, God will bring it to pass. It's just that, that question to say, okay, do you trust God really? Like, not just in a church, but when you're on your own, can you say, no, that God, I trust you?
Amen. And Ecclesiastes says, in the fullness of time, God makes all things beautiful. But just talking about time, I'm going to swing around this way to, to Dominic. Is there such a thing as a sell-by date? Because, you know, when you're watching the clock and the time and the years just seem to tick, and initially you maybe thought, no, by this time next year, Lord, I will be. And another year goes by. Is there such a thing as a sell-by date? Uh, I, I think the concept of sell-by date um, is one that is installed by the manufacturer of the product. Wow. So, so, so if... It, So if it's a carton of milk, the one who makes uh, Mukondo's milk is the one who's, who determines when his milk expires. Um, if I am a product or of God being the manufacturer of my life, the author and finisher, then, then I have to look to what is he saying about my expiration or if there is none, if, if there is one. You know, uh, I, I did a bit of research um, on Ruth and Boaz. Ruth was married before. Oh, sorry, by the way, uh, I'm single because I got divorced. So I am divorced, and, uh, but that's not a bad thing because I've gotten the healing that I need from divorce care. I've gotten the, the support that I needed from myself, family. So, so uh, if you're going through stuff... Amen. Find places or pockets where you can get healing. So talking about expiration date, Ruth got married before and uh, uh, her husband passed away. But when she got married to Boaz, she was about 40 years old. And Boaz himself was 80 years old. So there's no such thing as expiration when it comes to God's plan. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So some of you who are crying out for your Boaz, <laughs> better get some hair dye. <laughs> so just, just as we maybe about to move on, and we'll come back to the singles, but um, what, anything that any of you two would say that we would kindly request people to say to single people? You know, there's some things to stop saying. Stop say, saying. Please, 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 you know, when you say that, it doesn't make us feel, it, it's not a good thing to say. It, 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 it discourages us from believing God that Boaz is coming. <laughs> At 80. At anything or, or we can come back to this. Pastor Ray, oh, you want to say something? Um, I think for me it would just be, um, you know, the, the, we'll pray for you, we're praying for you, yeah. or... <laughs> <laughs> No, and, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with the prayer. Um, it's just almost like, you know, you see someone limping, but you don't necessarily go up to them and say, hey, we're praying for you. You get what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, it's, it's um, don't make it seem like there's something wrong. I'm sorry, Pastor Wade. Come on, come on. Are you, are you like that useless that you just, that's the way it has to be? You're not, are you? No, I'm not. No. All right, so can I, can I just swing? One of the questions that uh, probably you will be faced with uh, very soon, we believe, uh, we're praying for you, by the way, <laughs> is how, how do I know that he is the one? Oh, she. No, no, I'm oh. saying for her. Yes, let's just get okay. it clear. Right. Okay. How do for I know her, that he, he is he the one? Is the... Mrs. Saruchera, we, we, <laughs> we want to find out how did you know 
that Alan was the one. Or is the jury still out? Um, I cannot. <laughs> now that hesitation is not <laughs> indication. Um, the truth is, I, I just knew it. You know, I know it may seem cliche, but I knew he was the one. Um, and interestingly enough, we were working in the same organization, but we were not, we were not friends, we were not relational, and I was not, I cannot say God spoke to me, and I knew he was the one. But there was a particular day that, you know, he just walked into the office and I was like, oh. <laughs> you know? And from that day, and, but what then happened, I thought, okay, you know, um, but because I was in the church and I was involved, I knew that my position was not to pursue. So I did observe from a distance, and this is February, you know, of the year that I joined the company. And it took about eight months um, for him to open his eyes. <laughs> um, for God to open his eyes. And in this time, my, my, my friends, you know, I'll talk about it, but I didn't intentionally make him notice me. I didn't do anything that, um, you know, would make me be the one to be pursuing. I just, you know, kind of like parked it at the back of my mind. But, and you know, you, you'd be thinking, really? But, you know, but <laughs> eight months later, just one phone call, um, where he didn't necessarily want to speak to me, but someone in my department, but because I was homesick, a two-minute phone call turned into a one-hour phone call. And 15 years later, you know, but I, I, I knew, I learned how to hold on to, hold fast to the confessions of my faith because I just knew, okay, Lord, I'm sure, you know, this is, the, I, was, I was so convinced, but it just didn't make sense. You know, it didn't make sense, but I was convinced. And for sure, eight months later, 15 years later, here so, we stand. So you knew and you held strong. You I didn't did. go and pursue. I didn't pursue. Now I want to ask, um, you know, Pastor Ray. You know, Pastor Ray is, um, when he speaks, it's like he's speaking from the King James Version. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Ray is, uh, you know, when the Bible says deep calls unto deep. <laughs> That's Pastor Ray. Now, Pastor Ray, surely with that depth and that King... James, thou art, I'm sure the, 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 the clouds parted, the heavens parted and said, the woman who is sit, singing on mic is your wife. Am I would I have loved for that to be the story, Pastor, Pastor Milton. But uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the story. The funny thing about the first time I met my wife, she, I was getting to cell group. I had just been born again. Uh, I got connected. One of the first people I got connected with when I got born again in 2003 was Pastor Wilson. He wasn't a pastor then. He was a brother. And as soon as I connected with him, he started connecting me with the different areas of the church in terms of he's the one who got me to serve. He's the one who brought me to cell. And, you know, he just kept tabs on me. So literally when I came, she was a cell leader at that time. Uh, she had grown. So for me, I think in hindsight, literally at that point, there's no way that I could have heard concerning my wife because I was just born again. And you know what? I just arrived. And, and so for me, there was a lot of things 
I had to work through. In terms of when I look back, I actually figured God was causing me to mature in the midst because I think there was a pressure that we didn't mention uh, in terms of external and internal pressure. And that's the pressure that comes from doors that you've opened as an individual. When I came, I didn't know the Lord. And I had opened many doors in my life that brought, uh, you know, that brought evil my way or that caused me, you know, to be in certain circumstances. So the moment I joined the church, it's as if God knew that I needed pillars around me to strengthen me. And so these guys literally wouldn't let up. And, you know, they took me to the courses. They took me to the place where I began to have God begin to heal me and to begin to grow me. And so I think we related for more than four years with my wife before I began to see her in another light. You know, so... Oh, okay, so, so, Pastor Ray, like I said, when I see you, I see the King James Version. Now I want you to tell me which of these pickup lines you used. Check those out. Hey, so I was looking in the book of numbers and realized I don't have yours. <laughs> hey, I'm Will. God's will for you. <laughs> I've been struggling with loneliness. Would you mind meeting me to pray about it? <laughs> so I know you've accepted Jesus into your heart, but is there still some room in there for me? <laughs> is it hot in here, or is that just the Holy Spirit burning inside of you? <laughs> Your middle name must be Grace, because baby, you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so what do redeemed and justified men in Christ like to do on the weekends? Oh, <laughs> hey girl, is your name Faith? Because you're evidence of things that I've hoped for. Oh. <laughs> You must be made out of water, because Jesus turns you into fine. Oh, no! Hey, girl. I've got the gift of prophecy, and I can see you in my future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So now, I've heard a lot of people try and use the Elijah. That I've got the gift of prophecy and I can see you in my future. It comes in different formats. And one of them is the old classic pickup line. God told me you would be my wife. Pastor Wayne, you know, you, you, <laughs> you, you kind of look like you punched above your weight with Pastor Sandy there. Uh, did you have to go that route, God told me? It was God when I saw Pastor Sandy. Oh, okay. What was your story? <laughs> okay, what was my story? I didn't use any of these lines. I don't know if I used any lines. <laughs> I'm not one that would really say a whole lot. But it was, you know, you, you can see, as, as, as Gamu had said, you can be in different situations 
and uh, you know, some go to the bar, some go to the nightclub. For me at least, it was a little bit more pure than that. I was at a hockey festival. <laughs> now at that hockey festival, believe it or not, now this is gonna sound strange, some girl just came to me and said to me, I'm gonna take you out for dinner. And the eyes were big. But I think that was a good thing because suddenly my eyes were big and I looked through the tent and right through the tent there was somebody playing hockey over there. It was in red, she was in red and white. <laughs> you know, this is more than 25 years ago, guys. This is 26 years ago, but it's clear right now. Wow. And yes, I might be fighting above my, <laughs> my weight. I don't mean this one. But I could see, and I could see, and I could see. This is the one. God didn't say, I told you so. But I didn't have to use the pickup line. It just seemed to just happen. And remember, too, this was not, as I said, now, I may have given my life to the Lord and long before some of you guys were born, in 1974. But then you go to boarding school and, you know, things kind of happen. <laughs> Especially boys only. So, come 19-something, I see somebody in the distance, just in, through the tent and just through that, and the rest is history. Wow. So, um... We'll be waiting for the testimonies of how I saw her at the Kalife Cup uh, uh, 2019. <laughs> so, so you're saying that you just saw her and you knew. Uh, and he walked into the room and it's like, oh, that is it. I've heard about this myth of lists. A list where maybe ladies come up with 101 characteristics of a husband, seven characteristics of a husband. Uh, any of you ladies? Had one of those? In fact, <laughs> Pastor Kao, why don't you help us here? So he caught the revelation. He stepped up um, and uh, didn't say God told me. But now for you as the woman, um, how did you then respond? Did you have a certain list? Now, I know there's different lists. There's the five Ps I've heard. He must be the promise keeper, provider, protector, the prophet. The... So ladies, we know there's some <laughs> lists out there. Let me just say, she, she knows these five Ps by heart because those are the five Ps I was told. <laughs> <laughs> and where I was coming from, she says that my husband must be the priest. And for me, the priest I knew wore callers. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Pastor how, how did you? Um, I think it's inevitable that there will be lists. And uh, not because you're necessarily formulating them, although some do, but because you're surrounded by couples and by people. And so you're watching and you're seeing, like looking at Pastor Tom, you're like, hmm, I wouldn't mind. Or your father, your biological father. So um, for me, it wasn't necessarily list. In fact, I had surrendered the whole marriage issue to God because when I looked around the church in my carnal understanding and with my eyes, there was no one suitable for me. How arrogant, isn't it? <laughs> 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 so
So um, I had actually surrendered everything, but it's in the surrender that it actually clicked on the inside of me that I had seen my husband already and that he was under my nose. And like Rejoice said, there's not much you can do as a woman um, who, who's in the church and has seen your husband. You just stay put and hope that he'll come your way. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's no, I, I had no list where I was like, okay, um, this and that and that. And there's something that I want to read from 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 32 to 35. It says, but I want you to be without care he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world how she may please her husband. And this last line is so critical. Verse 35 says, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. And so if Gamu is focusing on a list, guess what? She's not focusing on God. Because every guy that comes, she's like, Hey, hey. <laughs> nails, shoes, or whatever the case is. So she, she's distracted. And so I guess uh, for me at that time when I surrendered, it was a pressing in more to God. And I didn't know it then, but it was without distraction. And then he came. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's... <laughs> so that's good. Now, we've all heard and been taught by Pastor Bonnie very well that your involvement is the key to your core, yeah. so we need to get involved. Because, you know, if you had a list and, you know, your list, and I know in, back in those days, Pastor Ray had an s -curl. So imagine if your list was clear s -curl. Uh Imagine now <laughs> when there's uh, no curl. <laughs> Pastor Fidelis, you know, we, we've got a lot of single, single brothers and sisters uh, in this church. And uh, unfortunately, because, you know, we're working out our salvation, we're coming out of the world, there are some habits that we're getting rid of. You'll find that you will have some tongue-talking, spirit-filled, uh, Pentecostal playboys. <laughs> so, so how, how does one, let's say, how, how does one know that someone is really single? You know, there are no rings for courtship. There are relationships. There are no uniforms that you would wear to say, I'm actually with someone. So how can you help uh, ladies with knowing that someone is actually really single and they are not trying to, you know, create a triangle. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> um, I think having spiritual playboys uh, who speak in tongues, and I think if you're a lady and you are in the house of God, you're seeking the face of God, you have surrendered to God, like Pastor Lashley was saying, I think it's actually a lot easier to be able to identify the counterfeit. Because when he speaks in a tongue and is a spiritual playboy, you should be able to interpret the tongue. And you should be able to, when, she's, when you, he speaks in that tongue, he can actually, if it's a real tongue, you can actually interpret and say, this guy is a fake. 
Okay. I, so it sounds very spiritual, but um, that's, that's my honest opinion. And I think we, in this house, Pastor Tom and Pastor Bonnie, encourage us to be accountable. To, they encourage us to be in, in community. And when you do things in isolation, you can easily be deceived. But when you are doing things in the open, in the public places, if you're going together with, with them to sell, you're fellowshipping amongst groups, whether it's in the ushers and choir, you find that you get to know a lot more about a person than you would on your own. So I think just that expose yourselves to others. Make sure that you're accountable. Make sure that you're under authority. Make sure that you're relating with like-minded people. And that way you'll be able to compare notes. You'll be able to see certain things that may be blind spots to you as an individual. Now, Pastor Videlis, you've said the A word, and I'm going to backtrack a bit with you there. Accountability. Now, I know some guys have bolted out the gate when they've heard that word because you ask a chick out, the next thing is, okay, let's go see my pastor. You know, and you haven't even known him or her for two weeks. So what exactly is accountability and why is it important? I think accountability is just putting yourself um, in the spotlight of someone else who you believe has got your interest at heart. So... Like I said, in, in life, sometimes you can have a lot of blind spots because when you enter into a relationship, I think one of the things that Pastor Tom uh, says is may never make emotional decisions because when your emotions are high, your thinking is low. And you find that you, uh, when we're at cross-culture, we would say you, you meet someone, you, you love them, you, you like how they are built as a, as a young man, you look at the frame, and sometimes in cross-culture, what we used to say is don't let your erection determine your direction. And this erection, I'm talking, we're in church, it's, yeah. it's okay. I'm just telling the truth, what we used to say. And, and, and by the way, this erection I'm talking about is not the wrong pronunciation of an election. It's the real election, erection. So don't let your erection direct your, your, your direction. So you want to be able to be accountable to someone who has walked that journey before you. Someone who has seen the things that you may not have seen. You want to be able to find someone who may be like a... You are, you, are, you are a disciple to them. And so you place yourself under their cover. And you say, this is the journey that I'm embarking on. And may you help me on this journey. May you walk with me. May you give me the counsel. And you give them that license to be able to speak into your life. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's, that's really key. So who, who, who yeah, give him a round of applause. Who, who really should we be accountable to? You know, who should we be accountable to in terms of I, I've had people that just come up to me and say, you know, I, I'm accountable to you. Remember. Uh, you are, you, remember you. I'm, I'm like, okay. Uh, maybe I, I, I missed a conversation. But who should we be accountable to? And what does accountability really look like? Because it seems like with some people, the moment they come and they say they want to be accountable to you, you don't see them again for, until they need uh, their form signed or something. Yet they say that I'm accountable to you. So how does accountability work? Dom? I think accountability comes from accounts. And the concept of accounts is basically, in a simple way, balancing the books. It's about balancing the books be, be, between who... I think I am and who I really am. So having somebody uh, uh, like Pastor Ray, for instance, in a, being in a relationship with him, and he's able to, to know who I think I am 
and who I really am and pointing out the differences so that I'm not in deception of myself. That way I can become really who I want to be or who I ought to be or who God says I should be. So, So in light of uh, accountability, uh, if I choose uh, Pastor Ray as somebody I'm accountable to, then I should be naked and unashamed before him. My whole life should be spread out before him so that he can help me walk the talk I'm talking instead of, um, you know, just wander through life. People see me as this person that I really am not on the inside. So accountability is about bearing your life before someone and not only parts of it. So accountability and policing are synonymous or, or, or they're not because there's a perception that if I'm accountable to someone then I, uh, they are policing me they are calling me where are you who are you with what are you doing what time are you going home is that what accountability is like uh, Sister Rejoice accountability Pastor Milton is also two way it's, it's, it's vertical as well as horizontal you know so you've got the vertical accountability where it's not policing but because you are accountable to that person, you allowing them to speak into your life and you are in a position where you are allowing them to rebuke you and to correct you without being offended because you've given them the permission. And on a horizontal level, because it's relational, you're, it's your peers, it's people who you hang around with each and every day. They know you and so when they see you step out of line, when they see you do what you not ought to do, they are also in a position to say, hey, we know this is the way you are supposed to be. This is what you said you would do. And they are able to, you know, continue to carry you and walk with you because, you know, we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling each and every day. It's a daily walk and we cannot do it alone. That's why we talk about community. And it's, you know, it's fatherhood, vertical and also horizontal in terms of your relationships. Pastor Milton, I think when I approach my wife, I think this is probably an example of it. Literally, uh, I approached her and let her know that the way that I was seeing her had changed. And from that point, she made the decision immediately to bring me to those that she was accountable to. And literally, it was a brick wall that was there, literally. Because you know what? They had every question there. They, They wanted to know who I was because she was known I wasn't known. And so if I had motives that were ill towards my wife, those motives probably under that pressure would have been exposed in, in, in terms of what I was desiring. But because I'd made a decision, I was able to walk through that in terms of and walk with the people that she was being accountable to. Because for me, I had a conviction of what I needed to do. And so I was walking by faith And my faith brought me, you know what, on the other side. But if I had ill intents, those would have been exposed. Because indeed, they were really there to really find out who I was, what my intentions were, and what I was desiring in terms of, uh, in relation to my wife. Good. So, So from the little bit that I know about your story is that when you were introduced, they said, this is not it. The, the accountability, uh, the, those that were, she was accountable to said, this is not it, 
Uh, the cover said no. They said, we don't see it. He's not the one. How okay. then did you move from <laughs> that to this? <laughs> um, I think there were, there were different camps. So there were some who had tested his integrity because of self. And that, that accountability is definitely in the context of community. And then there were some who were like, this is just not working. There was one who outrightly said, because I think that time I had been um, ordained uh, a pastor or something along those lines, and he wasn't. And one outrightly said, isn't he marrying, doesn't he want you because he wants to be a pastor? You know what I mean? So they were asking very, very hard questions. And I, I, I believe that um, we had the conviction, although it came in a different way, we had the conviction that this was it. There were no clouds over us, no bright lights shining, no voice from heaven, but we knew. And so when you know, you submit yourself to authority, knowing that God's ultimate plan will be fulfilled, but you don't run away from authority. So we made the decision that we would not run. We would go through the premarital counseling. We would submit ourselves to every question. And I can tell you that there were two people who were very, very like anti. Those two people are like the closest people to him beyond me now because we submitted ourselves and answered the questions, worked through um, everything that we had to, to get to this point. So definitely rebellion is not the way, um, but it can be very, what can I say? Not, not, um, I guess it's a test. Okay. It's really a test. And when you pass the test, then happily ever after is somewhere nearby. So let me, let me ask you a question. What if um, your cover... Uh, had st stood their ground and ultimately said no. Whose who's decision, who's responsible for the decision? Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think it's a, good, it's a good thing that you asked because when they did say I wasn't the one, it was in my hearing and it was for me to, <laughs> to hear. And so for me, it was critical at that point to be able to make a decision in, in terms of what I was hearing and what I was hearing on the, on, the, on, the, on the inside of me. And I think I was pretty much aware that it was my decision to make in terms of how I wanted to proceed. And, and, I, and, I, and I think the good thing about cover is that they give counsel. Yeah. They give counsel. They don't make decisions for you. They give counsel. And, and I think from that counsel, you are then able to make decisions. Because when you're being held accountable, ultimately... It's going to be God looking at me saying, what did you do about this? So I think that's... That's good. And just to add on to that, um, Proverbs um, chapter 11, verse 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so I think, like you rightly said, it, it, it was a test, wasn't it? To say, is this what you believe? And you had to pursue it. Um, and I think in the Bible, the example of Ruth and Naomi, you know, what did it take? How much resistance did it take for Naomi to still push, push through and say, no, I will follow you? I think of Elijah and Elisha. But I think for young people, um, and sometimes we do have that scenario where you go to your pastors or your cell leaders and you're looking for them to make the decision. Um, but we're saying, no, it's not up to Pastor Wayne to say, this is the one. We are filled with the Spirit of God. And so through that counsel, we are now able to 
make sound decisions concerning our lives. Okay, so we've spoken about how we uh, get into relationships and um, no, maybe let me just say this, that the difference, we've just explained the difference between dating and courtship. Dating, you do it underground, it's all by yourselves, but once you bring in the aspect of accountability, you bring in the aspect of counsel, then you are uh, towards courtship. Now, I want to um, ask maybe the premarital counselors here is to say, how should we deal with red flags in a relationship? Sometimes you see something that you are like, uh, I, I'm not so sure about that. How do we deal with some of those issues? The beauty about premarital counseling is you're not doing it in isolation. It's an arm of the church. So when we come across red flags, there's a lot of tools within the church that are within our disposal to be able to lead and direct individuals. And ours is there to, not to prescribe, as Pastor Ray said earlier, but to just lead and give counsel. So you're able to then say, this particular situation may need a season of, for example, walking free, or you may need to go through, um, you know, um, grief share or something so that you are able to deal with the deep issues that are actually the root of the cause of the red flag. So the tools in the church and the platforms that have been afforded to us are things that are really um, at our disposal and we take advantage of that. So Pastor Fidelis, at what point should we undergo premarital counseling? Is it after we are engaged? Is it uh, at the start of the courtship, the moment she agrees to court? At what point should we do premarital counseling? Once we've set our dates, how, 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 it's a good question. how and when? Because now Rejoice is saying that maybe you need to go for walking free and we've come exactly 12 weeks before the Rota date and now we're being told, okay, no, go for eight weeks of walking free. <laughs> how does this work? And I think uh, uh, pre-marriage counseling is really preparation uh, for, your, for your marriage. So the earlier you do it, the better. As a, as a church, I think Pastor, uh, Pastor Tom always encourages us that once you're serious and you begin your courtship, you want now to be accountable and you want to begin to understand uh, the person that you are, you're walking with. And I think pre-marriage counseling really does, then does expose or helps you to understand um, the person that you are in a relationship with. So the earlier you do it, the better, because sometimes you don't want to then receive a, a red flag and it's a week before. Yeah. And so sometimes you may just go ahead and yet you're actually supposed to stop. You know, say so the certain things that you can ignore. If they are orange flags, then you can, some, some of the things you can let go. But if it's an orange flag, I think my wife and I, as we were doing pre-marriage counseling, we have encountered a couple of people uh, that just fell in love, they got excited, they got, started going into, uh, uh, started coming for counseling. And then th we eventually find out that the, the, the fiance is actually not born again. And this is an avid believer. This is a, a lady that we respect. And she has not actually taken the time. Just because the guy is in church does not necessarily mean that he's born again. But for us, it's a red flag. And we actually need to deal with issues like that. We've had to lead uh, people to Christ in pre-marriage counseling. Wow. So I think it's very, very important for you to, for one, to begin uh, pre-marriage counseling early enough because that's really preparation and just essentially setting the foundation for your relationship. And as people go for pre-marriage counseling, I think they should always come up with an, 
with an open heart, with an open spirit, and really seek counsel. Yeah. And counsel that's based on the word of God. And it does not translate that once you start counseling, you have to marry that person. That's good. So you should also be able to say, when you see the red flag, I am stopping. Yeah. And I'm not taking, putting my life at risk because I just have started premarital. And people know, and I have to continue. That's good. So you, I mean, the, I think the other pressure, um, just give the Lord a hand. The other pressure that, that sometimes there is that, but now we are in a relationship. It's known that we're in a relationship. So is it easy for us to break up? Let's just talk about breakups a little bit. Now, because they happen in church, some people are walking wounded with breakups. I sometimes feel that maybe we must have a div divorce care light uh, for people with courtship breakups. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but there are uh, yeah. instances where it actually is a strong hurt. Uh, how, how should we handle breakups in community like this? We see each other, next thing he breaks up with you in two months, he's raising his hands in worship and you're saying, eh. <laughs> I'm sure, Mrs. Saruchero, you've had to lead, Pastor Fidelis has led some people to Christ in premarital counseling. I'm sure you've led some people to break up. How, how can they, because it just wasn't working, how can they uh, walk it out? Again, Pastor um, Milton, with breakups, I think the, 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 what happens, someone then needs healing. You know, healing is something that, because you, you cannot move on to another relationship or move on with your life, regardless of another relationship or not, without getting the healing that you need or dealing with, you know, the hurt that was caused in the one relationship. And also realizing that it's really about you and now dealing with your relationship with God and not expecting the other person to be maybe remorseful or to be repentant if you feel that, you know, they're the ones that were wrong. But it's now coming and saying, okay, I need to deal with me and how best can I move forward in order to continue to live my life and be part of the community in the church. Because if you look to the other person, um, you may never get the results. But if you look to you and dealing with you, that's what we always encourage. You need to heal. When you heal, anything else that may happen will not hinder you or obstruct you from continuing in your call and in the will of God for your life. Okay, that's good. Um, uh, let's, uh, you know, if, you had, if you've gone through a breakup, focus on you, as he said. And, you know, one of the things that happens is that when you, we encourage uh, going out as groups, uh, so you go for group dates. You know, when you post your pictures online, uh, social media doesn't forget. And then four years later, you're being reminded about, you know, your breakup. So let's just be wise in our use of social media uh, concerning this. Now, Pastor Fidelis, you mentioned that there are people that you then find out that they are not born again in premarital counseling. You know, one of the things that's happening a lot is there's what we call imports, where people are going out and importing wives or girlfriends from either other churches, other places, town, hockey festivals. You know, <laughs> how, how do we, what are some of the things that we need to look out for when we're importing? Because it's somewhat simpler if we find each other in this church because we kind of have the similar teaching. But now others may not be taught on courtship. Mm, yeah. So the dynamics are different. So what, what are some of the things that we should uh, look out for? I don't know why I'm getting the, the difficult questions, <laughs> but, 
But I think for me, I can handle that because thankfully, Pastor uh, Wayne imported. I imported my wife for, from another church, but thankfully, she would come for, to cross. And so we could relate um, at, at a certain level. And I think importing sometimes the, can, can present some challenges because you may find someone who is a believer, but the doctrines may vary. And so it may pre present a lot of complications. But I, I think it's, it's always important to really make sure that everything that you do is centered on the Word of God. Um, the, the dynamics obviously are uh, interesting when you import. Uh, it's, it's a really complicated thing. But for, for me, I thank God that 15 years later, we are, we are together. But I think the, what helped me was that my wife, my fiancé then would come to, to cross. And before I married her, she had already migrated. Uh, she didn't jump, jump the border. She actually did it legally. So I imported her properly and legally. So you paid zebra and all. One of the things that also happens with the imports is that, and, and ladies, you must understand this, <clears throat> because at the end of the day, if he's from another church, he's the one who's going to make a decision as to where that family goes to church. Yeah. And he will, you, you can convince him all you like to be here, but if that's his church and that's where he grew up, that's where he is going to probably be going. Which means that's where you will probably be going. So as a church, uh, we believe in courtship and courtship involves families being involved in the relationship. Like, just like we're talking about importing, you know, you can, maybe your parents don't come to this church, and so here we're taught that your family should, they should really get to know uh, your, your, your person uh, before you are committed to anything. Now, now, how can we go back to our families who will direct us to Tete and all that side of things for us, for our family to also get to know our person so they can also counsel with us? You know, this is... Uh, I think a, a pertinent subject here. Pastor Fidelis, uh, it's a... Uh, <laughs> Are you going to take we'll, we'll, we'll take it to the other side and then uh, Pastor Ray. I think, I think for me, uh, how I view it, Pastor, Pastor Milton, is that a family is a part of who you are. And I think it's, it's, it's critical for them to be involved uh, in the process, regardless of the circumstances. So I think because I had, you know, seen my wife as I'd seen her in that light and I was desiring, I had to bring her to my parents and introduce her and let them know that this is, is where, where, where my mind was. This is what, what I was thinking and to hear their counsel. You so, know what I mean? I think for me, that was very important. And, and for me, I, I, I really had to do that because they are a part of, you know, my life. They are the ones who raised me there. So I think that aspect was critical for me. And I think my dad wasn't born again, but my, my, my mother was a Christian. So regardless of the fact that he wasn't born again, I, I thought it was critical for me to at least, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was out of that relationship yes, yes, that you had with your parents. So we must be building relationships with our parents that would allow us and allow them to give us the necessary input. Now, speaking about family and culture, Pastor Milton, I think a very pertinent issue for us to also touch on is white wedding versus rora. What does God recognize between the white know, wedding and rora. the rora? Does he recognize if both? If we've had none? rora, are we married? 
Or, we not or if we just have a white wedding with some marriage officer somewhere. Las uh, Vegas da, or yeah, where uh, people go. Does, does God <laughs> recognize that? Um, um. <laughs> Who wants to take that one? <laughs> Pastor Fidelis. Uh, <laughs> I think you made yourself the one that we would say if no one answers, then we... <laughs> Uh, okay, I think, I think many a times, uh, especially young people, will make a, a big issue out of an event rather than the marriage itself. And I think Rora is, is, is an event. A wedding is an event. I think one of the things that we quickly learned when we were doing pre-marriage counseling with Pastor Liz and Pastor Edna is that, guys, don't put yourself under a lot of pressure. And sometimes we talk about white wedding and we think that a white wedding is what really God desires. And I think in this house we've been taught that marriage, we've been taught that God is, a, we serve a God of covenant. And he is a covenant keeping God. So when we look at marriage, God looks at it from a covenant perspective. Yeah. And when you look at a covenant, it's got uh, about five basic tenets, which we can then talk about. But it involves um, a spoken vow. Spoken. So you, you cut your covenant. You actually speak, exchange vows with, with your spouse. Yeah. And that's part of covenant. You talk about exchange of, of, of gifts. Token, yeah. So it's a token. I'm putting on a, a, a ring from Israel that my wife bought. So each time I look at it, I remember the covenant. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I did not receive it when I went for low, uh, to pay in Lobola. Mm-hmm. But when we then got um, married... We, we then went through these vows. It was an exchange of vows. It was an exchange of covenant. We, did, we received communion. You know, so it's, uh, it's talking about a blood covenant uh, on our wedding. So uh, a marriage is beyond yeah. just the, the white wedding. So you can actually pay lobola. One of the things that we actually encourage is that don't put yourselves under a lot of pressure to have a white wedding. So it's basically um, God's blessing that you desire. And you can invite a marriage officer from the church the day that you go and pay lobola, you can actually uh, go and say, you know what, I'm having my lobola on this day. You've gone through pre-marriage counseling. The counselors feel that you are ready. You are also feeling, you also believe that you are ready. You go through your lobola, then you invite a marriage officer. You have your, your covenant uh, before God and before the witness is present. And that is a marriage in the eyes of God. Good. good. So like Pastor Fidelis said, there are five key things that are part of covenant. So if it's a white wedding and it doesn't fulfill this five, these five, then God doesn't recognize it. The same way that if we have a rora ceremony and we don't go through these, then God doesn't recognize it. So it's not about uh, the, which, which, which is it, Western, is it this? No, no, it's about kingdom principle. It's about covenant. So like he's saying, after you fulfill the exchange of vows, the tokens, the blood covenant, God's blessing and the name change, God recognizes, that's a covenant. So it can be straight after the aurora. Now I know that it's like, no, but I want to wear my white dress. I can do this. I want to do that. It doesn't mean that if you're going to have it after your aurora ceremony, it's all just hashed together. No, it can be clear that we're starting our aurora from 8 a.m. until midday. And then at 1 p.m. we're going to have a ceremony you're going to walk through. And, and it will actually be beautiful. Uh, if, I, if I can just say, you know, sometimes I, I found, I don't know, it's not a, this is just my own interpretation. Don't take my word for it. But I've noticed that whenever people structure their aurora like that, that they have aurora and then they have a wedding afterwards, I've actually never seen things go wrong the way that sometimes you have just a aurora ceremony and a wedding in seven months where there are fights. Because everyone knows that our goal is 
to join the families. Our goal is to come together. It's not about the money. Yes, okay, you don't have enough, but it's fine. We want to bring you all together. Now, it's really important that we set the right foundation as we begin relationships. Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole says that the person that you marry is the closest, excuse me, passed away, is the closest that you'll get to heaven or hell while on earth. And we also know that being single is not a deficiency. So it's important that we begin to make quality decisions concerning our future, concerning the things that we want to do. It's not enough for us to look at and make decisions based on what's right and what's wrong. I actually feel like making a decision between right and wrong is the lowest level of decision making. Because something can be right but not lead to life. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 19 says, See, I've said before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God and, all, and walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you're going to possess. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. We need to be people that make quality decisions. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitudes of counselors, there is safety. The Bible also tells us that where there is no vision, a people perish where there is no vision, a people will cast off restraint. So it's important for us that we ensure that we have the right kind of vision before us, whether you are single, whether you are in a relationship, whether you are looking to get married, and that you make quality decisions for your future. You don't want to be wishing. I know right now a lot of single people are wishing and praying that they would be married. You don't want to be married and be wishing that you are single. It's a decision that you have to make and make sure you make it right. This morning as we have gone through the many questions, the many discussions, our prayer is that you have found some wisdom that you can apply in order for you to make quality decisions as you go forward. You see, some of the family guans that we actually then end up dealing with can be avoided if we go through and take principles from what has been said, identifying the red flags, being able to deal with them, not, not, not pursuing but being pursued, understanding that you know what, God has an interest in who I marry because we will also then advance and multiply as he, as he calls us to do. This morning, it is important that we make, and going forward, it's important that we make quality decisions. And at this point in time, I want to just tell you that the best quality decision you can ever make that will help you as you walk through different stages of relationships is having Jesus as the Lord and Savior. That is the basis, that is the foundation of which we need to be building our relationships on. This morning, if you are out there and you say, you know what, I've been listening and all the things that have been said on this altar today are based on the Word of God. This is what guides how we live. And we are guided by it because we have chosen to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So with every head bowed and every eye shut this morning, 
I want to ask you today to make a quality decision. If you, are, if you are here today and you have never given your life to Christ, if you say, I've never li- given my life to Christ, I am not sure where I will go if I was to die today, whether I would go to heaven or hell. If that is you, you today, I want you to indicate to me by raising your hand, waving at me and saying, you know what? I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. If you are out there, raise your hand. I think I see a hand there. Um, Ashes, help me. I think I see a hand over there. I see a hand over there. Uh, God bless you. Any, anyone else who says, you know what? I, I need Jesus, the rock that I may build my foundation on. If you are here today and you say, I've never received Christ, just raise your hand high and proud because we want to pray with you and that we want to lead you. The second thing is that you may be here and you've made mistakes, whether in relationship or whatever, where you've made mistakes and you want to come back. You know, there's a story that we, we hear about or that we read of a couple that had stayed pure for the whole of their courtship. And two days before their marriage, the fiance, the husband, convinced the wife that they should sleep together, saying, hey, we're so close anyway, we're practically married. But we see the net result of that in their marriage many years later in that she felt or kept an offense in her to say, you know what, you violated my purity. We had not yet been pronounced husband and wife. God had not yet given us his blessing. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have some kind of feeling within you where you know you made some violation or you, you, you made some mistake in past relationships. You made an error somewhere. One of the things that we are so happy and and thankful for is God's grace. God's love that covers a multitude of sin. That when Christ went to the cross, he already knew that he was paying for your sins, yours and I's sins, even before we committed them. So if you are here and you've made mistakes in relationship, maybe you have lived a life where you have not cared about people, gotten into relationships with people and broken their hearts. We also want you to come into right standing with God that you may begin to rebuild the foundation. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.